Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. We live in the day that the Bible calls today. Today. Today is the day of salvation. As long as it's called today, it's the day of salvation. Every day I wake up and it's called today. (laughs) So in the mind of God, every day is a day that's possible for you to have a new start, right? A new start to be be rescued from the things that have been just hanging on, right? I mean, God wants his people to be free. God doesn't want us to be carrying around baggage that the world has loaded on us. You know, what did Jesus say? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, you didn't get that from God, right? Like somebody said, you let the devil load your wagon if your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, right? We didn't get that from God. We got that from the world. And so, man, my prayer this morning is just after a time in his presence, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. We don't want any yoke on us except for his yoke, right? Break every yoke. So praise the Lord. I want to just look, um, I'm going to save, uh, I've got some things I do want to let you know about, but I'm going to put those aside. I'd like just to get into the word. If you look at Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12, um, anybody know what happened in Acts chapter 5, verse 1? That's when uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and they died in church. It's a pretty heavy verse. Understand this is happening right after that, right in the context of that. But I love this. This is Peter's ministry in Jerusalem there. It says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 5, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. I like that. Do you? Many signs and wonders were regularly done. This was a regular occurrence. This isn't something that happened on one special service. This was regular. Every time they met, it was regular regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Listen to this, verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And I read that and I love it because it seems to me to be almost contradictory. Okay, none of the rest dared to join them, yet more than ever, believers were being added. None dared to join them, but it seems like a contradiction, wasn't it? But isn't this how God chooses to do things? Sometimes it doesn't have to make sense to your and my understanding. I would think that if God wants to grow the church and add believers, we need to do something that people were not afraid to join us, that they would feel welcome and bring them in and make them comfortable and hold their hand, right? And and here it says none of the rest dared to join. Well, you understand, Ananias and Sapphira just dropped dead in church. I guess... If you weren't right with God, you might be afraid to join them. It's a possibility. I can understand what's going on there. But it seems like a contradiction, yet God has a way to grow his church that's beyond what we can understand. This is where you and I say, yes, Lord, I'm obedient to you. I'll do what you say because I know you know best. You can reach people in ways that I can't imagine. I'll be here ready to serve you, right? You know, I've been in hospital rooms where they've had to do emergency procedures on people all of a sudden. And I promise you, their first concern in that moment is not the patient's comfort, right? What are they doing? They're saving a life. They're not really worried. Jerking and pulling and stabbing and poking, they're not worried about the patient's comfort. They're saving a life, right? They're saving a life. And, you know, I, 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 I... I wonder sometimes in our drive to make people feel comfortable and welcome, sometimes have we failed to welcome the only one who really matters. You know, we just got done with Halloween, man. I see all these things that my neighbors put out, you know, in their yard and all this ugly stuff trying to scare kids and the stories, right? You know, horror movies are one of the best selling movies uh, that Hollywood puts out every year. That's why there's so many of them. A lot of people go, people, this, this is what Americans do. They, they scare their kids at Halloween. They go and watch these horror movies. I mean, they go bungee jumping, skydiving, roller coasters. I like roller coasters. I don't even want to go waste my time with a roller coaster if it doesn't turn me upside down three times, right? 
Come on, but we have these extreme things that we do in life, right? I mean, we're, we're doing these things and, and uh, you know, we're supposed to be concerned maybe that, uh, you know, we can't be too radical. Uh, you know, people might be uncomfortable if we're too radical, but look at what the world's doing. They're, they're pushing into things. They just want to feel something. They want to experience something. They want to go to a movie that scares them. They want to get on a roller coaster that scares them. They want to experience something. And then meanwhile, we have God. Okay, God. But we want to put him in a little box and protect everybody from him. Man, we can't be too radical. You know, maybe the problem is church isn't scary enough. Think about it. Could it be? Maybe we should have warnings coming up the road and on the door. You know, warning. This church might be detrimental to your depression. (laughs) The thing that has been been plaguing you, it might be set you free today. I mean, you know what happened to the last person who went in there, man? <laughs> they got healed of their disease, you know? Come on, what, what doctors couldn't do in 10 years, God did in 10 minutes. Well, maybe we just need to go ahead and do it the way God wants to do it, amen? So more than ever, believers are added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Look at verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So they get close into that proximity of Peter. They're getting healed, man. That's what's going That's what's going on. I'll tell you what, if Peter were doing that today, if Peter were here doing that today, there would be a dozen YouTube channels tomorrow and their sole content would be explaining how that can't be God. Think about it. It would, yeah. And so, so listen to verse 16 then. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And it says, and they were all healed and they were all healed come on that's what we are that's what we want that's what god does in our midst right where the where the holy spirit has his way and his freedom they are all healed you don't hear this language you know where do you hear else do you hear this language in the gospels when jesus was ministering and they were all healed and here you see it in the early church doing the same thing that jesus with they could just get to church man they were all healed all of them You know, if you're just wanting to be weird because you want to be weird, I'll just roll my eyes at you and go on and ignore you, whatever. But if you can get the cancer out of my body, if you can make the war in my emotions stop, if you can help me get free from my addiction, yeah, then I'm going to listen to what you say. Why? Because you're helpful, right? right? They were all healed. That's what the goal is. They were all healed. And I don't care what it looks like to get all of them healed. That's who we are. We're supposed to be helpful. We're supposed to be useful. Emmanuel is a loving, healing, and helping church. We're supposed to be helpful. And so today, I want, you, I want to turn you back to the book of Ephesians. I want to talk about the glorious church. The glorious church in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Um, Bruce, this is actually part 5. The glorious church. I want to read this uh, from, uh, starting at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's just pray. Father, let's thank you for your word. I thank you for your image, your picture, what you give us of what the church is. In your mind, Father, this is what the church is. It's a body that works together, that builds itself up into the image of Christ. Father God, I pray that as we look at these scriptures and you open them up to us, that our understanding will be enlightened, Lord, and we will understand and be able to 
carry out the things that we read in the word today. Father God, give me utterance and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So just look at this big picture. This is, the, this is a mature church, amen? amen? This is not a church tossed back and forth by waves of winds of doctrine. In other words, they're not reactionary. They don't just react to every little thing going on. They have a mission. They're on point. They're focused. They know what they're here for. They know what they're going to do. And they stay on task. I like the part where it says, and, and you know, speaking the truth in love. That's good, isn't it? Speaking the truth in love. How many times, though, have we learned, have we had this verse? It's used, you know, a little bit out of context, you know. I've heard people quote that verse saying, well, I've got to correct this because i got to speak the truth in love. You know, you get the spirit of what I'm saying, right? That's the truth in love. Man, no, the, the, the truth in love in this passage here is in contrast to error and deceit. That's what it is. We're a true a church that is a loving church and a truthful church. We speak the truth in love. We live in truth. Uh, I think it was last week when I was preaching about um, how our lives embody the gospel. That's because we're living in truth. The, your life, my life is supposed to communicate something about the truth of God to the world. And not only to the world, we read in, in earlier in Ephesians that the wisdom of God is made known to the, the, the authorities in heavenly places because through the church, through how when you and I embody this truth in love, that's what we're talking about. What would be the opposite of that would be the error and deceit of, of immature people being taken advantage of by people bringing in different teachings and winds and waves of doctrine. And so this is the picture of the mature, mature church. The, the truth in love is not a, a license to be nitpicky about every little thing you don't like. Right? Yes. Make sure I was heard. Not a license to be nitpicky about every little thing you don't like. Well, I've got to speak the truth in love because, <clears throat> yeah. We need truth in love. Um, a preacher named Alistair Begg, if you know who he is, he said this. I thought it was a great quote. He said, truth becomes hard if not softened by love. And love becomes soft if not strengthened by truth. That's why we need truth in love. Truth in love. See, because you've got the people on the one side, you know, so committed to speaking the truth, you know, as they understand it. And, you know, they're over there and they're all, it seems like they're always just re looking for a fight, looking to pick on something. Well, you didn't read the right translation of scripture, or you didn't do this or didn't do that. And they're just ready to speak the truth in love. But on the other hand, you've got the love camp and they're just ready to sacrifice all truth just to show the world how much we love them. Both of those views are extreme and unbiblical. We need the truth in love. We are truth and love people. Amen? Amen. So the glorious church is a mature church committed to truth in love, fully equipped, it says, all parts functioning together as parts of the body. I like this. Every joint, every member, every part is working together the way God designed it. See, it's the church that according to this, it is the church as a whole that does the work of the ministry, not just the leadership, right? It's the church that's supposed to do the work of the ministry. As a whole body, we're supposed to be functioning together and doing ministry. We all have different parts, but we all work together. I mean, if any guy here has ever tore down an engine, man, you know there are a lot of moving parts that have to work together at the right time in the right way. A lot of things are like that. A lot of things have to work together. And in the body of Christ, it's the same thing, by the energized by the Holy Spirit. But from what each joint supplies, we're supposed to be working together and moving together as a single body on the earth today does not mean we lose our identity. It just means we're part of something much bigger than us. Rin Kim's uncle um, in India is an evangelist. And um, she reminded me of this last night. Um, when, 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 she, when I became the pastor here at Emmanuel, we stepped into this, this uh, position. Um, she called her uncle, and we love him. He's a... He's a a uh, really kind man and a uh, very quiet and thoughtful man. Would you agree? Am I right? Yeah, you know him better than I do. But, um, but uh, when, when she told him uh, that we stepped into this, he said, oh, that's, here's what he didn't say. He, first, he didn't say, man, that's good because you guys are so special. You need it. 
He didn't say, that's good because you guys are anointed and you guys are just wonderful and this will be wonderful. You know what he said to her? He said, that's good because now you can start doing the things that every Christian is supposed to be doing. Now you can start doing the things that all Christians are supposed to be doing. And, you know, that's what I love about our church. When I, when I find people going out and visiting others in hospitals and going out and helping people with their homes and doing all these things, it blows me away. Sometimes you don't even tell me. Sometimes I feel like the last person to know, but what? Does it bother me? No, I love to see the body ministering to the body. That's what we're supposed to do. I mean, if there's somebody in here and you don't have their number yet, go get it today. Go link up. Why? Because one day, you know, who knows what's going to happen in this world? We could, you know, they could shut down the internet here. I mean, there are places in the world right now, and you know, in the Gaza Strip, in, in India, in Manipur, where that conflict's going on, we've told you about different things. What are they? they? First, they shut down the communication and the internet. We didn't have any internet and cell phones, whatever. How would we communicate? How would we still function as a church? We need, to be, we need to be knowing one another. We need to be in relationship with one another, even outside of this place. Amen? Amen. So if you don't know everybody here, make it your mission over the next couple of months to know everybody. You know, next week we're having our Thanksgiving dinner. Come and go sit at different tables and just take the time to get to know one another. Have them over to lunch and go out to eat. Talk about God. Talk about your kids. Talk about whatever's going on in your life. But let's take the time to be a body, amen, to be a family. So he said, now you can start doing all the work that all Christians are supposed to be doing. And see, the, the mature church here in um, Ephesians is a picture of what we can be. And, you know, I've probably known some people who have walked close to this, and maybe you have too. But I don't know if I've, I've, if I've seen a church that's walked in this as fully as we can. And, and there are certain, you know, there's certain, uh, there's struggles to overcome, you know, as, as you, as the church grows, you know, what you go to a larger church. Some people are, you know, I, I believe in larger churches. I'm not against larger churches, but it's a challenge in a larger church to know everybody. Like we're able to know everybody here. These are just things. So the body has to be intentional about these things. It all can't come from the platform or from leadership. It's the body that has to be there for one another. It's the body that need. you know, I love the fact when I hear testimonies of somebody getting prayed for, or healed in the parking lot. That's great. That's what the church is supposed to do. Amen. Amen yeah. Come on. It's, 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 we're all anointed to do the work of the ministry. And so compare this church, this picture here in Ephesians to the Corinthian church. The church in Corinth, it's got to be the antithesis. antithesis anti, did I get it? Thank you. The antithesis to this Ephesians church. Because uh, look, at, well, look at what he says. Paul is writing both churches. And here's what he says to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh and infants in Christ. It's off to a good start, right? I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now, you're still not ready. Okay, this is, this is not happy. This is not happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a correction, isn't it? This is a rebuke. You're still not ready, for you're still in the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? This church, man, they're not mature, are they? They're infants. They're babies in Christ. They're not spiritual. They're in the flesh. Your King James would say you're carnal. Mm -hmm. Carnal. It's a good King James word. I like it. Carnal. They're not established in God. Instead, what are they? They're tossed around by every wind of doctrine. And if somebody wanted to take advantage of them through the cunning craftiness and deceitfulness of men, they're sitting there and they are ripe for the picking because they've got these factions and divisions and, and, and they're tossed back and, through, back and forth with every wind of doctrine. You know, the thing about babies, I know a little bit about babies. <laughs> the thing about babies is they're babies right? They, they can't take care of themselves. They're really, you know, they're really, especially when they're little, they're at the mercy of those who are in their lives. And how they grow up and mature will depend on what kind of family they're in. And so as a church family, man, we want to welcome those who are babes in Christ. But we should not be babes too. We should be able to exemplify and model godly behavior in front of them so that they can grow up into Christ, right? We need a church that is maturing people, Spiritually speaking, a babe in Christ is a carnal person, a person who's still in the flesh. In other words, they're governed by their senses and their natural thinking rather than governed by the Spirit. 
That's what makes a carnal person or a babe in Christ a babe in Christ. They've not grown up to the point where they've learned how to deny themselves, say no to their sensual impulses, and follow after the Spirit. That's what a babe is. But God wants us to grow up and put on Christ and start, come to maturity. Amen? And there's a, see, one of the markers of, of, of a, one of the markers of a carnal church is the existence of the factions and divisions among them. If you would read the rest of the passage there in uh, 1 Corinthians, especially chapters 1 and 2, you, you'll see that Paul is uh, targeting this directly. He says, you've got these factions and these divisions among you. Are you not carnal? Are you not of the flesh? And he, he goes on, and I'm paraphrasing, and you can look it up and read it, but he talks about, man, some of you say, I follow Peter. Some of you say, I follow Apollo. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Jesus. But, but you're making these factions and these divisions among you, and that's a marker. That's a sign of your immaturity. Why? Because you're supposed to grow up into Christ and be able to exemplify and embody Christ. And, and, and when God sends different kinds of people, uh, you know, you maybe have noticed or not, but we have different kinds of people we open our pulpit to, to preach and minister to us. We, I do that on purpose because I know that there's more that the body of Christ needs than just my personality and my ideas. We, when this missionary comes in, in December, December 17th, mark it down on your calendar, um, we, he ministered at a um, sectional meeting. He prayed for all of us pastors. It was a great meeting. He had a great word, and he was a on fire, man. I mean, you just felt the power of God when he started speaking, and he ministered and laid hands on us and prayed for us. And I, I said, I called him on the phone a couple days later I said could you come minister in our church <laughs> why because we we need that yeah. amen we need that and so if you know if you're seeking a baptism in the Holy Spirit I'm going to tell you come come that's he uh, I've been told that he's good at helping people get baptized in the Holy Spirit so come and be a part of it amen but but either way just come and be a part of what God is doing and it'll look different and it's good it's good because we're not divided Christ is not divided and so, um, you know, I, I'm thinking Paul is writing these letters, you know, at a time when, you know, when he wrote to the church of Corinth, there was only one church in Corinth. What would Paul think about today? If Paul wrote to the church in Knoxville, who would get it? I think it would be Emmanuel assembly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but think about it. Who would get the letter? We're so divided. Could you imagine you know, I follow Wesley. I follow Calvin. I follow Luther. I follow the Methodists. I'm a Presbyterian. Christ is not supposed to be divided. Not supposed to be divided. And I know there are doctrinal things. Again, it's truth and love, right? There are things that we stand for and we don't want to lose from the revelation of Jesus Christ that we're walking in. But that doesn't mean I have to, to separate myself from the body of Christ. I'm going to protect these truths. I'm going to live these truths. I'm going to preach these truths. But I'm going to love the body of Christ. We need to be like John the Baptist. you got to love John the Baptist. Look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7. Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. And uh, he starts talking to the crowds and he says to them, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Think about a reed out there in the wilderness next to a little pool of water and the wind blowing and that reed just, just moving with the wind, right? It's blowing with the winds of culture. See, but God's word doesn't change, right? John the Baptist, the prophet of God, he didn't change. But here's this reed out here just blowing. The culture blows one way, it bends. Culture blows the other way. And it bends. We need to be aware. We need to just be aware and take notice how much of the culture we've allowed in our lives. Okay? Things that are common practice now, those who went before us, they fought and took a stand against. And now they're common practice in the church, okay? I'm glad that we've been liberated. I'm glad that we have freedom. But has our freedom made us weak and vulnerable? Or has it empowered us? It's time to use our freedom that we have in Christ to live our lives for Jesus Christ. 
That's what he wants us to do. Amen. You've been set free, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh, right? But we should use our freedom as an opportunity to serve him even more. I'm not well, here to put anybody under legalism. But if God's given us the freedom, freedom comes with great responsibility. So what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So culture says, hey, this is cool now. Blows this way. And so what do we do? We run and we try to make our churches appeal to that. Let's go get this group, you know. Blows this way. You know, woke is in, man. Got to be woke. Let's appeal to the woke. Let's be a woke church. Comes the other way, you know. Hey, man, today people's attention spans are really short, man. So instead of get and go burger, let's have get and go church, you know. Just drive through church, man. You know, well, let's do drive through communion, right? You know. Ah, uh, yeah, I like communion for four. All right, swipe your credit card, pull up to the first window. <laughs> and thank God, I thank you guys that you know you're just willing to sit and and be in the presence of God. Let God do what he wants to do, right? That's what we are here. You know, if you come against anything that the world's doing out there, if you come against any of it, all the culture out there, and the cultural Christians, they'll look at you and they tell you, you're being hateful, you're being unloving, you're being intolerant, or even telling you you're irrelevant. But we're supposed to be truth and love people, man. I love you, but I'm going to live for him. I love you, but I'm going to hang on to this truth. I'm not going to let it go. I love you, but I'm not going to live like the world. I'm not going to lower my standards just because I want you to feel comfortable around me. I love you, but I'm going to embody, I'm going to exemplify the life of Jesus Christ to the best that I can. And where I fail, he's going to make up the difference. It's not a condemning thing. But it's a hanging on to that truth. Amen? It's hanging on to that truth. And you know, our churches today, they're perfectly designed to produce the kind of Christianity that we have in America today. I was at a conference one time. It was a kids' conference. And they were trying to tell us, teach us how to recruit leadership. And they said, your leadership strategy is perfectly designed to recruit the kind of leaders you have in your ministry today. That was a good statement because you think about it. Whatever you're doing is working. <laughs> if you're not getting the results you want, maybe you need to change what you're doing, right? And, and our church today, our churches today in America, they're perfectly designed to produce the kind of Christianity that we have in America today. So if we want to see America turn to God again, we need to get off the path of lukewarm nominalism and be white hot for God again. Amen? Yes. Come on. We need to allow this thing called Christianity to actually infect our lives to the degree that it affects our lives. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, here, in other words, we're not waiting for God. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. I think too many people have been injected with a weakened form of the gospel so that it only inoculates them against the real gospel rather than infects them with the gospel. If it doesn't change you, it's not the real thing. If it doesn't influence your thoughts and desires, it's not the real thing. If it doesn't create for you a hunger to live clean before God, it's not the real thing. And so what did you go out into the desert to see? Did you go out to see a reed just swaying in the wind? No, he said, but you went out to see a prophet, a prophet and more than a prophet, right? What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks for God. A prophet is not free in the sense that he can only speak the words of God. He can only speak the words that God gives him. He can't change it or bend it. It's like, God gave me this message, so I'm stuck with this message. You might like it, you might not, but this is the message that God gave me. And the culture just has to work around it. And maybe it's time that you and I, in love and in truth, stand and be the body of Christ and be on fire for God and stand for truth and just let the culture work around us. More than a prophet. A prophet can't change that message just because it goes cross-grain with the culture. Come on, hey, Jesus wants to rescue lives. If that's offensive to you, then I don't know that I have anything else to give you. 
So John got in trouble because of the stand he maintained, even in the face of imprisonment and persecution. He actually died because he was taking a stand against immorality in the government. Well, that's not a position I want to have to die for, standing against and speaking against immorality in the government. But that's what he did. He spoke against Herod because he was in an immoral situation and he spoke publicly against him and it got him put in prison and eventually cost him his life because he took the stand on truth and he didn't bow. He didn't bend. He wouldn't sway. Maybe if you and I would, if we could quit bowing to culture and we would bow to Jesus Christ again and let God get a hold of me, maybe men would seek me out. Maybe men would seek you out. Maybe they would come to you for their answers because you'd have something to give. We'd we'd be useful as a church. Amen? And listen, I'm not talking about taking a critical stand for the people that we're trying to reach. I'm talking about this is a message to the church. Okay? People out there in the world, man, they don't know what you and I know. But when we know truth, we've got to embody it and live up to it. Amen? So he wants us to grow. And in, in, in some ways, growing is a continual process. It's continuous. It always goes. But there should also be milestones, you know, that kind of mark your progress, right? Elizabeth is up on her hands and knees now, rocking back and forth. I mean, it's not going to be long before she's crawling. Um, thanks to Padrina yesterday at the food giveaway, she almost got her walking. I'm like, don't skip crawling. You got to walk. No. <laughs> No, but I mean, there, there's milestones that you'll see in a natural, healthy progression, right? And look at Hebrews chapter 5. Paul is writing uh, to the Hebrews, and, and he said, I don't know if it's Paul for certain, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, um, we ha- he's wanting to tell them something. He says in verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of the Bible is pretty blunt, really, isn't it? That's, you know, some people, I wish I could talk like that sometimes. <laughs> but but they, they, they did, and they put it in the Bible because it was for our good. And here's a situation where, where he's writing to Christians, and he says, you have become dull of hearing. Amen. In other words, you've not always been this dull, but you became this dull. You've not always been like this. What happened to you? You used to be able to understand these things, but you've become Doll. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, listen to this word, is unskilled. I think that's an interesting word. I'll come back to it. Unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So so this writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys have been Christians long enough that you should be able to teach others by now. But instead of progressing, you've actually regressed so that somebody needs to come and teach you all over again. Man, I don't want to be that kind of Christian, do you? I don't want to have to be going over the basics over and over and over. I want to be walking and established in the truth and continue to grow in Christ. And here he's saying, you've regressed, you're going backwards, you're not pro- you're not progressing, you're regressing. It's kind of like a, um, in 2 Timothy where Paul talks about people who are always learning and never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That word right there, knowledge, is, is a ep- epignosis. Epignosis, it's, it's, it's two words. It almost means, it's like, it reinforces the word knowledge. Because it's not just about knowing, it's a knowing through experience. That's what we're talking about. You're always learning. You know all this stuff up here in your head, but you've never been able to step into the reality of it where you can exemplify it and embody it in your life. And that's what God's will is. That's why he's saying you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. You're unskilled. So those who, those who are mature, they have their, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. What does that mean? They're trained by doing right? They're doing it. They're doing the Christian life. They're praying for people. They're praying for their family. They're leading their families. This is what constant uh, use, constant practice. We're constantly seeking God. We're constantly reading his word, quoting his word, uh, stirring up one another, preaching to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your heart, stirring yourself up in your faith. By constant use, you come to a place where you can experience God in all areas of your life. That's what I want. Amen. 
It's not just information. You know, it's talking about developing this a skill set. He says you're unskilled with the word of righteousness. You know, doctors have a skill set. Carpenters have a skill set. Parents have a skill set. And Christians are supposed to develop the skills, the skills to apply the word of God to life. To apply the word of God to life. It's a skill. It doesn't come just from knowledge. It comes from practice. It comes from doing. And so he has given to the church, it says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Um, so these are what we call the fivefold ministry. And they're given to develop the church so that until the whole church can look like Jesus and express Jesus. And as I read this, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking these are all expressions of who Jesus is. These are all a reflection of Jesus's ministry, right? Think about it. What's apostle? Apostle is somebody who is sent, right? Look at Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, the sent one, and high priest of our confession. He's the apostle. He was sent. And so what does Jesus turn around before he goes to the Father? What does he say in John 20, 21? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So who is he sending? He's sending the church, man. And so the apostles are given to the church to help the church realize that we all have to carry this this mentality of Jesus, that we're all sent. We're all sent to go. What's What's a prophet? A prophet is one who speaks the words of God. Okay, Jesus was the prophet. If you remember in Deuteronomy 18, it says, uh, Moses predicted that the Lord of God will raise up for you a prophet from among you, like me, and you must listen to everything he says. That's why in John, the book of John, when he was out multiplying the loaves and fish, they're like, who is this man? Is he the Messiah? I don't know. I think he's the prophet. They were expecting a prophet. Jesus operated in this prophetic ministry, if you will. Jesus is the prophet. Therefore, we should go and prophesy. Amen. So he gives prophets to the body of Christ so that we, we, are, we can reflect this aspect of his ministry. Evangelist. An evangelist is a proclaimer, right? But, but what are we sent to proclaim? The word of God, the word of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So, I mean, you, you are called and commissioned to proclaim a powerful message that is life transforming. Jesus is the evangelist. Look at Luke 4.18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus operated as an evangelist in the office of an evangelist. Why? So that his followers who are supposed to represent Jesus will also have that evangelist spirit in them. In teacher, you know, the word rabbi, they call him rabbi or teacher means teacher, right? So Jesus was a teacher. Now, this is not uh, this is not a message on, you know, what the fivefold ministry looks like for those who are necessarily operating. This is a message on what the body of Christ is supposed to look like as a result of the fivefold ministry doing their job. When the apostle comes to town and preaches in the church, then he should leave people with an apostolic gift. It should stir up the whole body of Christ to be apostolic, amen? To be sent, to be goers, Right? If if a, if a evangelist comes, you know that they they should impart something so that the whole body is strengthened to do the work of the ministry. See, <clears throat> apostles, evangelists, prophets—they don't exist for their own benefit. I think sometimes the way we've done church, we almost come to the place where it looks like these offices, these leadership positions—they exist in the church so that some people can be special. That's not what it's supposed to be. They exist to serve the body so that the church can be effective. That's what they exist for. So how would you know maybe if you were called into one of the offices of the ministry? Well, first, there should be a desire in you to serve. Even if you don't get public recognition to serve, that'd be the first thing I'd look for, a heart to really serve. 
And if you look around and you find people who are, who are following after you and gleaning from you, you're operating in a pastoral gift right there. Right? When, when, when Paul and them went back and they, and they, they, they planted the churches and they, they ministered, then they went back through again and they started laying hands on and appointing these people who they recognized were called, right? But you know, the, the, the job of, ordin- a, a, of a church board or a denomination ordaining um, a pastor or a, or a prophet or whatever is not because, not because they're necessarily saying you're going to be a prophet whether, whether they are or not. It's because the church board is supposed to recognize that gift operating in that person. And it's just a public recognition of something that God's already done, Right. That's what it's a recognition of what God is doing because we've got people who are in these offices who maybe aren't even called into those offices. You got to look at their fruit. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. So if you're an apostle, I would expect to see the fruit of an apostle in your life. If you're a prophet, I would expect to see the fruit of a prophet surrounding you. Amen. And so this is, I'm speaking this today, not for the benefit of the fivefold ministry, but for the benefit of the body. We're supposed to all grow up into these things, into Jesus Christ. Back to Ephesians 4, it says, um, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I like that. When I was a kid, you know, when you're, that age where you're growing, you get these growth spurts and you grow fast, you know? We didn't have a ton of money, so we'd go clothes shopping once a year, usually at the beginning of the school year, okay? Anybody can identify with that, you know? My mom would buy me clothes that were too big for me because I would, she knew I would grow into those things. I remember one time there was this leather jacket. It was like a Fonzie jacket. Anybody remember Fonzie? Yeah, Fonzie, hey, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wanted this jacket so bad, man. It was so cool. It came down over my knuckles. You know, I, stood there and I wanted this jacket so bad. And it was too big, and they didn't have one that was smaller. And I remember the store clerk telling her, yeah, I always buy them that long for my kids because they'll grow into them. And I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Got my Fonzie jacket. But um, she'd get me these clothes and they were too big because why? She knew I'm, I was growing. A healthy kid grows and you'll grow into it. Later on, as you'll read in, in this chapter, you know, Paul will tell you to put on Christ. You know, I, th- I picture a kid sitting there with clothes too big, but you don't worry about it because you know they're going to grow into them. And so there's an element of you and I that we have to grow up and mature, but there's also another element where we put on Christ. It might be floppy. It might be loose. But he's not worried. He's like, you're going to grow into it. It's going to look good on you in a very short time. Just keep going. It's going to look good. It's going to look good. But God has placed people in his church to help mature the church, to help us grow up into that image, into the fullness of Christ so that we can fit into his clothes. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's our choice. We've got to choose to participate This is God's program for maturity, Christian maturity. But we've got to choose to participate in what God is doing. It's not going to happen automatically. You know, it's not going to happen necessarily to the extent that it could in online church or sitting at home when you could be part of a body. There's something about a body that matures people. It just is. It's something about where two or more are gathered, man, I'm there. there, There's something about, I mean, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with me. I'm with Jesus. I used to go out driving my motorcycle, me and Jesus, four hours at a time, you know, loved it. Trying to talk, Ring came in to get me another motorcycle. (laughs) But, but, you know, there's something about um, being with another Christian, another believer, where Jesus is present among us. And there's things that are given to the body that are body ministry that need to happen. And they just don't always happen by yourself. I mean, hey, I pray in tongues. I get interpretation. I write it down. It's wonderful. But how much more can we stir one another up by, by doing that with one another, by being there for one another? Those are good. We need times in our lives where we're with a body, a body, okay? And so, so this is God's plan to grow the church, 
or to grow Christians rather into Jesus Christ, into maturity. But we've got to choose to participate. Amen. I'm thinking about that song. Um, I think it was a Keith Gregan song. You know, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Do you remember that? It's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. A lot of it has to do with what we behold. Our affections follow what we look at. What if we do the opposite of that? What if instead of turning our eyes on Jesus, what if we turn our eyes on the world? What if we long for the things or we get distracted by the things going on all around us? the things of God then start to grow strangely dim. And all of a sudden, the reality of what the news is telling me all the time becomes my reality. The reality of the problems in my life or in my family become the reality of what's going on. And what, what does Jesus say? I'm here, I'm real as I ever was, but you're giving your attention to something else. And so growing up into maturity is a choice Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get involved in the things that Jesus is involved in. Put your heart in the things that Jesus' heart is in. And watch the things of earth grow strangely dim. Watch your problems, amen, grow strangely distant from you and dim as you leave them behind and go on with God. Now, that's what God is calling us to today, man, to step up and be the body of Christ, to be Jesus to the world. Amen? Was this helpful? And what a... What a wonderful, what a wonderful just a worship time this morning. Thanking God. And you can ask the worship team later. You can ask them if there were any difficulties to overcome this morning. <laughs> Seemed like every channel up here, everything we were plugged into was messed up somehow. I don't know what happened, but praise God, between Jesus' help and Corey's help, we got it together. But oh, what a wonderful time of worship this morning. It was, it was wonderful. God is good. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. One more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father God, that is our heart today. Come on, if you agree with me, say amen. That is our heart today, Lord. We want to turn our eyes upon you and that we know that that takes a turning our eyes off of some of the things that are going on in the world around us. I choose to look at you. I choose to give you value in my life. I choose to give your word and your spirit, Lord, and your people value in my life, Lord, over the things that are going on in the world today. Your word says, Jesus prophesied that men's hearts would fail them for fear of those things that are coming on the world, the world today. But Lord, we are those who are walking in you and you say of us that we shall fear no evil, that we are not to be afraid of them, that you said, I will leave you in the world, but I'm gonna keep you from the evil that is in the world or from the evil one that is in the world. And Lord, we choose to look at your promises, Lord. We look at your plan. We look at what you're doing in the world. And even though there could be 10,000, 1,000 falling at my right hand and 10,000 falling right beside me, Lord, I'm I'm not going to give in to the fear. 
I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to grow into maturity. I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to be who you want me to be on this earth. I'm going to do it in this lifetime in Jesus name. I'm going to be an expression of Jesus Christ in Jesus name. If you agree with me, give me an amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Worship God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. Next Sunday is our uh, Thanksgiving meal. How many of you guys looking forward to that? Yeah. Going to love it. Uh, if you didn't sign up yet, there is a sign up in the back. We're also using Meal Train. Sign up for a, a bring a dish. Tonight, tonight for our evening service, we've got planned just a time of worship and praise, prayer. We're not sure what's going to happen. It'll just honestly, it's going to depend on what you bring. Uh, we're just going to we're just going to start with a few songs and we're going to worship the Lord to see where it goes. Amen. Have a time of prayer, just however the Spirit leads. So that'll be tonight at five thirty. Next Sunday after our Thanksgiving meal, there will be no evening service. And the following Sunday, uh, Jackie is going to be uh, presenting. Um, we were we we had her scheduled earlier, but she's looked into some of the problems surrounding our in our city. Um, uh, a lot of people using drugs and fentanyl, different things. And she's done some of the research and some of the data on that. I think come prayerfully, listen to what's going on in our world around us. Let's not turn a blind eye, right? Let's look at what's going on around us and let's pray how we can be used uh, to represent Jesus and set people free, okay? You know, they may or may not come here, right? But we don't stay here all the time. We go out there too, right? <laughs> right? So we're gonna, you know, maybe strategically look for a way to go out there and meet them. Amen. Uh, a couple of things I also want to let you know about, but let's go ahead and let the ushers come forward and uh, take up our offering. And then I'll, um, you guys got to come up with a new traffic pattern now that we move the seats. Tonight, tonight, that's tonight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to give, Lord. We know that giving, uh, in so many ways, it represents everything that you are. God so loved the world that he gave. Giving represents the heart and spirit of God. Uh, giving, we're blessed when we give. Uh, we bless others when we give. We're a part of what you're doing when we're able to bless others, Lord. And I thank you for the, it's, it's an act of worship, laying down uh, our resources and our finances for the sake of the kingdom of God and the ministry. Lord, I just thank you for all of the the things that giving represents. And Father God, I pray for a blessing on this offering. God, I pray for blessing on all those who are able to give and even those whose hearts are just with this ministry, maybe not able to give. I bless them too in Jesus' name. But Lord, let this offering may just go into fruitful ground and bring, bring, bring about fruit for the kingdom of God, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.